She was born in Culpeper, Virginia. That's in northern Virginia, not too far outside of Washington, D.C. She'd be named Anne. She'd grow up, and by the time she was 18, she'd be married off to Granville, uh, uh, Granville Jarvis, who was about 10 years older than her. And he came from a middle-class family. They were, they were, they were searchers and, and seekers and, come, and, and men on the make. And he went out establishing a pretty good career and a pretty good life in merchantile, in mercantile, in, in, in stores and businesses. He dabbled in this and dabbled in that. They'd eventually move up to uh, what was then northwest Virginia in a town called Grafton, which has really eventually become a suburb of Philadelphia in West Virginia after West Virginia split off from Virginia. Anne Reeves Jarvis would experience uh, 11 pregnancies in 17 years. And she would lose all but four. She had four children to survive uh, childhood and go on to adulthood. And by the time she was in her late 30s, she had stopped that foolishness <laughs> and gone into a new phase of her life, which was dedicating to do some good about all that bad that had confronted her. And she did a remarkable work in the towns they lived in as he, as her husband, carried on his mercantile businesses and did sort of well. They were the middle class. They weren't poor. They weren't, they weren't scraping by, and they weren't wealthy. They were making do on, the, on what was really then the frontier. And in the middle of the Civil War, a pretty special child was born who made it. She was one of the four named Anna. They named her Anna. Well, between Anne the mama and Anna the daughter, some special things happened. It's said in the stories about them that Anna, the daughter, remembered Mother offering a prayer at the local Methodist church. Uh, and she, Anna was about 12. That someday she hoped there was a day for mothers to recognize everything they contributed to the world. Well, Anna was uh, never married, never had children, but from the time she was a preteen or teenager, she took on the task of memorializing women in honor of her mother. Her mother did something pretty remarkable. Now, this is in the 1850s, and you can imagine the medical care and how bad it was. Well, she had a brother-in-law uh, who was a doctor, and he was, been doing, he was doing some very effective work, new work, in the field of disease that affected every, every family. Because those children died of measles, diphtheria, typhoid, some really bad stuff that may have been treatable. So Anne, the mother, put together a, a, an organization that was all volunteer through her Methodist church and through her communities. These weren't, small, these weren't large towns. These were small towns in what would become West Virginia. Mother's Workday Club. And it was a volunteer time. The women would get together. They would research and review the new literature on health and sanitation. They looked at making sure that milk was more sanitized. Was sanitized. They looked at some of the treatments available for disease, some of the precautions about uh, sanitation. And they brought into the life of those that ruled in small town region some sense of hope in the form of health 
for both children's survival and human survival. Imagine that. In 17 years, 11, 11 live births, and four of them make it on. Bad time. But that was not just that family. That was just not the dynamics of that couple. That was true on the frontier in the world that was back there in that time. But Anne Reeves Jarvis decided she would at least make an effort and move into some kind of approach to help that out. And daughter Anna was there with her, watching her and helping her along the way, actually, later on. Well, the Civil War came. Anna, as I said, was born in the Civil War. But, but the years after the Civil War, mother sort of twisted, turned the purpose of the Mother's Workday Club to the Mother's Peace Club. And what situated where they were in West Virginia and Northern Virginia and Pennsylvania, there were both Union and Confederate families that had survived and come there and lived there. She went about trying to reconcile that hostility and that hate that had been carried on after the Civil War in the Reconstruction period. And she brought them together for festivals and for <laughs> all types of things to accent that we are together and peace is our job now. Well, all of, all, Anna, Anna saw all of this, and Mother went on to this, and they kept working on it and kept doing these good things about addressing the ills as a voluntary organization through the church sometimes and broader than that a lot of times. Chil children's health, family health, reconciliation after war, an end to bitterness, and they would get into suffrage. They would also get into temperance. They would get into those social ills that were really hurtful to the whole community and to the health and happiness of the community they lived in. Well, Mother would die in 1905, and Anna took on, Anna, she lived the last few years in Philadelphia with the four surviving children. Well, Anna took it on herself to take, go about establishing a Mother's Day in honor of her mother. She would work at it. She would do correspondence. She would write all the governors. She would write as many legislators as she could. She would get together festivals, and she would try to celebrate the gifts of mothers and their place in civilization. Well, she was in Philadelphia, so she was a pretty moxie lady. Uh, John Wanabaker, am I saying this right? Wanamaker, was a great, uh, had a great department store in Philadelphia. And she went, proceeded to his office, introduced herself, and told her what she was up to. She said she wanted to uh, celebrate Mother's Day on this certain date, around her mother's birthday, and invite the women and families of, the, uh, of Philadelphia to come to his, his store for a festival. It was a big auditorium. He had a big auditorium, and she wanted to use it. So John, pretty smart businessman, and also a pretty good guy, so that sounds pretty good to me. So they did it, they celebrated it, they promoted it, and believe it or not, if the information historians are right, they had 15,000 people show up to celebrate the first Mother's Day in 1908 in Philadelphia. Well, that was that. And uh, it moved on to her working to get, West Virginia established it in, in uh, 1908. But by night, <laughs> they took it to Congress and some smart-headed congressman said, well, we can't do that. If they wanted a Mother's Day, we'd have to do a Mother-in-Law Day, too. So, uh, that didn't do too well down with Anna, so she went back to work. By 1914, Woodrow Wilson would support legislation that would make a National Mother's Day, and it would be set on the second 
Sunday of May around Anna Reeves Jarvis's birthday in honor, not of her, but of all mothers. Now, that's the history. That's the, that's the other storyline. But it's not the rest of the story. By the 1920s, the florists, the candy makers, the card makers had all usurped Anna's great noble dream. And she was so angry, and she was so, you saw how dedicated she was to get the holiday, she was as dedicated to end the holiday from that point on. <laughs> Literally, she worked and bankrupted herself and died in a, in a public sanitarium in 1948, the week I was born. I think she reincarnated in me, I'm not sure. <laughs> I cannot claim that if I want to. Uh, but her point was that they had commercialized something that she had meant to be a means and a, 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 an announcement and an invitation for all children to remember mother and to take a moment to send a card, write a letter, connect with it. So it was this subtle, nuanced differences in what marketplace capitalism thinks about an idea and what the originator thought of the idea. Because she wanted it, the noble idea of, hey, we owe it to mom to connect with her, don't we? We need some stimulus sometimes. So let's just have a holiday and say, okay, time to call mom. You know that today about 40% of, of telephone <laughs> uh, transit business will be in, increased, 40% more phone calls. Well, I can't make my phone call, and a lot of you in the room can't make your phone call because mother's not here anymore. But I always did it, and I, I, was, I was an example of it. All right, this is, this is nice, though. You give us a little positive thing. How about a dedicated woman sought to do something good in honor of her mother for the good that she saw her mother doing. And this is another part of what Anna, the daughter, was seeing. She saw the place and the power and the significance of mothers in culture. Because mother had four children that survived that she had to mother and to keep house for. But she still had time like my grandmother, Miss Adelaide, did. She taught school every day. But she also had the after, afternoon and evening visits with the families that were needful, she called them. I have some needful dotes. I have some needful, needful patrons dotes I've got to go see. And she'd go take some eggs and check out what was going on. Well, my mother, Miss Adelaide, was a model of Miss uh, Anna Jarvis and how those women participated in culture. Behind the scenes, off the clock, extra time, because they brought values and principles to the culture. I've been thinking about all this. I've been thinking about a boy child of, of a mother and a male trying to talk about Mother's Day and trying to not be too saccharine about it or too sentimental or too uh, really guilt-driven because some moms aren't good moms. Abused to dope. Some moms aren't good moms. They don't know what to do. My mother got to see, okay? And I really resent these A, a students, <laughs> these A mamas that I have to put up with around other people. Like that. But I saw in Mother some stuff that I don't, didn't see in some of these other stuff. There was a grit about her that would not let go. I want you to take a moment, those of you whose moms aren't here or whose moms are still with us, I want you to take a deep breath and take a moment to think of those qualities and, and, and of character that you honor in your mom. If you had to write a list down, a few words, 
what would they say about your mom? I mean, you know, what, what, compassion, merciful, mean, uh, irreverent. Uh, uh, take a moment to do that. Deep breath. What do you remember? What do you uh, recognize? What do you honor in mother? Now, if the list is a little short, and you really had a hard time doing that, think about other people who have nurtured and nourished you. Because mothering is not just left to mothers. It's left to those kind, gracious, graceful people who bless us. They bless us through encouragement. They bless us through recognition. They bless us through confirmation. Say to us by their attitudes toward us, that we're okay. That we are okay. Not that we need to do this or we need to do that or stiffen up that back. Don't just that we're okay. It's a special thing. And that's what these days like Mother's Day and Father's Days are about. To bring us to recognition of the connections that bind us to the past, send us out to the future, keep us connected with the eternal, but also bless our lives, enrich our lives. Make it more for us. Make it wholesome and healthy. I think that's a good thing. And I think that's enough to say about all that. Love's the word we're looking for. It's shared through our moms out into the world. And when I say moms, I mean moms of blood and moms of adoption and moms of good luck. Amen. The Sun That Shines, number 19. I don't know this one. This ought to be fun. Okay. <laughs> 